change around my team, yeah, we off the leash. You can look us in the eyes and see we have peace. Black and gold, that's the colors when we go to war. When we step up on that field, you go hear my roar. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. Yeah, nobody hitting harder. Better keep your guard up, cause with everything we drop, we can score it when we wanna. Welcome to Podcast I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Mike, it has been a while since you and I have been able to sit down and do this due to various personal issues, either yours or mine. It's it's nice to get back behind the microphone and, and talk some football with you outside of just us ranting and raving after uh, another Ticats loss. We have a lot to get, well, maybe not a lot, but a decent amount for us to talk about this week. But I want to start the show, dude, by getting something off my chest. I know, I don't remember how many weeks ago it was, but you brought up the Ticats audio network. We have you were talking about how much you liked it. We have praised that in the past. I, I know they do a great job giving you kind of the team perspective on things. Like Louis B is a guy I have a tremendous amount of respect for. I think the people over there, him and, and everybody else, do a great job. But this week they done messed up. I think they had Michael Ball, who, if you don't know, is the play-by-play guy for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, and is in addition to that is an unhinged lunatic on social media. They had him on their weekly CFL This Week show. I mean, if you if you don't know who Michael Ball is, go far. I can't remember what his Twitter handle is. Like, did he Michael, delete his Twitter because they didn't did tag he? him in the in the post? Oh. They didn't tag him in the post. Maybe but. he did. Maybe maybe the writers said, "Hey, stop being a effing goofball mm-hmm. on social media. You're making us all look like clowns." But anyway, if he still is out there, go go find him. Maybe they didn't want to tag him because they're like, "We don't we don't want you guys knowing who this dude is." Because like you go look at his Twitter, it is anyway. The one thing he won't shut up about is Simone Lawrence, and he even was on this show. It was in with what? How, how many minutes before he brought up Simone Lawrence on, on the episode? Because you and I both listened to it, and I think we both turned it off at the same point, if I'm not mistaken. It was pretty quick, and yeah. I'm not even – like I was just trying to find where he started talking about Simone, so mm-hmm. I kind of – I didn't get the exact beginning of it, but it was within two or three minutes of the episode. Yeah, so his whole thing, especially in the wake of the whole Garrett Marino fiasco, was – he was King Doofus of the what about Simone mob. I think it's fair to say every time anyone brought up, you know, get Marino out of here. He's a this, that, or the other ball was always, well, if you, if you didn't get rid of Simone, you can't get rid of Garrett Marino and yada, yada, yada. Now to their credit, most Ryder fans also think ball is a tool. So I'm not going to harp on them at all on this. Most of the reaction to him from, from, what I will call sensible fans, because there's always going to be, and there's these in every fan base. I understand that but there's always going to be morons who tow the company line. The team can do no wrong. I mean, there's people out there that still defend this Fran the die cats. I'm talking about hiring Art Bryles all those years ago, which was, it's an, that was an indefensible move. And the thing is the tie cats though, who, whoever books guests for this show should know who this guy is. And to give him this platform to kind of spew his, lunatic ravings and the team posted a clip on their Twitter feed talking and, and, and he was talking and he said something about getting canceled or getting 
in trouble or whatever. Like to me, this is indefensible. Like for all the good the Ticats audio network has done, this one choice here kind of undermines it a lot of it for me in my eyes. Like I just think, how do you give this guy? I, I mean, you're looking for the writer's perspective on something. How many more people are there out there to choose other than this moron? Like. How many people cover this team that you could probably name five or six just off the top of your head? And then there, who knows how many more there are to bring to bring this guy on, in my opinion only. And I'm not going to speak for you. You can say your piece. I think this is a bad look for the Ticats. Like I, I would want to distance myself from this guy, because if you look into what he said in the past and kind of who he portrays himself to be, this is not someone I think you want to be associating your brand with. But that's just my opinion. No, I, I completely agree with that. It's it's sad that he's the play-by-play. Play. Like, it's sad that the riders want him as the play-by-play play guy because just the, the stuff that I've heard about him in the workplace and, um, you know, just his defense of Garrett Marino. Still, even after Garrett Marino is released from the Rough Riders, he goes on Ticats Audio Network and he's still defending him. And the thing that bothered me about the conversation was there was no pushback about the racist comments that he made. It was all yep. about the hits on the field. But, you know, we talked about this before we started recording. That's like the hit is bad, obviously. Um, but that but we happened. See that, yeah, we see that in football. Um, even the celebration. Yeah, that's terrible. He shouldn't have done it. Um, and that's part of it why he's not in the league anymore. But it's the racist shit. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, you just can't be saying that kind of stuff uh, in this day and age. It's just not acceptable anymore. So um, for Michael Ball to be still defending him, it says a lot about his character. And, and, I, and I'm with you. I, I think, you know, you could have brought on anybody. There's there's radio stations that cover the riders, you know, like Jamie Nye and that crew. And then mm-hmm. or the Piffles podcast guys. They do a great or job. Murray McCormick or Rob or Joel Doss, or, or we have like three guys at three down that cover the riders. Like you could have picked one of them. Like there's so many people that you can have on other than this guy. And you th- for it doesn't make any sense to me why you choose to bring him on. I just don't get it. And the thing that bothers me about him as well is like you can shove all the facts in his face about mm-hmm. Simone, like, you know, comparing him to Garrett Marino, how Simone, yes, he's made he made a mistake with that Claros hit. That was a bad hit. But he's moved on. He's not a dirty player. This is not his um, you know, he's not like Garrett Marino. He's not getting suspended every game he plays or fined every game he plays. And he see you can tell him that you know, right to his face. And he just won't accept it. He has his mind made up no matter what anyone else says. And I just cannot stand people like that. No, I, I'm with you. And to me, I I don't know how we lost the plot on this. We we said we, I know we talked about it ad nauseum. Everyone's talked about the Garrett Marino hit on Jeremiah Mazzoli. People are probably sick of, of hearing people talk about it, sick of dissecting it, sick of any, everything to do with it. They're probably sick of hearing those names, quite frankly. The hit is what it was, and it it was a bad hit. It was a late hit. It was a low hit. It was an illegal hit. It was a dirty hit. It was all those things. If that was simply all it was, was the hit and the flag, and he would have got maybe a one-game suspension. You know what I mean? Like, yep. it's, he goes low. He did it to himself. He did this all to himself. He did it to himself. He did it to himself. The taunting, everything like that, that adds into it. But to me, the crux of this whole thing is the comments. Like, you and I know we talked about this at the time, but when you're a league that touts diversity as strength, you sold a bunch of T-shirts years ago with this slogan on it to then cower both the riders and the league itself when it came to this. 
when it came like when a player and Jeremiah Mazzoli is still like it's been it's not not been as much the last little while, but him and his family well past the time when you would think that this something like this would be in his mind still continued to speak out about it. And if you know Jeremiah Mazzoli at all, you know, he's very quiet. Look, all the crap he went through in Hamilton. I'm sure some of that was racist. Well, you, I remember you told a story, did you not, about a thing in Edmonton yep. where a yep. guy made a racist comment about him. Like, he's been dealing with this stuff his entire life. And he, I'm sure he dealt with it in Hamilton. There are some less than savory people that live in this city. But he's, ta- he's spent the majority of his professional career hearing how he's no good, how he's this, that, or the other. This clearly struck a nerve. Whatever Marino said to him, and I know there's just been some things floated out there about – what it was and how it wasn't quote unquote that bad. I don't buy it. I don't care if you think you know what he said or if you've been told what he said. I don't, I don't buy any of that nonsense. If you suspended it, this is something that is still bugging Mazzoli. It was something worse than what you think it was. But regardless, you should never good, bad or indifferent. You should never make comments about someone's heritage, someone's race. The fact that that's something that's kind of been swept under the rug you know what I mean? Like, it's definitely still part of the conversation, but everyone makes it out as if Marino was vilified for the hit. And we've seen hits, maybe not to that extent, and with, with all the theatrics afterwards, we've seen right. hits like that fairly often. I was watching an NFL game last night uh, and saw a pretty, pretty vicious hit on, I think it was Geno Smith um, for the Seattle Seahawks. Someone from the Denver Broncos kind of took a bit of a headshot at him. Those things in football, they're not forgivable, but they're they're under. I, I understand how you're playing a game at that speed, how things can happen that quickly. And maybe a guy goes to slide, saw it in college football, saw it. Like, if you watch enough football, you're going to see these hits fairly. Like, I don't think there's been a single college football game I've watched this year where someone hasn't been flagged for targeting and either thrown out of the game. But they were all review all targeting plays in the NCAA and ha- either hasn't been tossed from the game or like, you know what I mean? Like, that's that happens. That can happen at. You've got a bunch of fast, strong dudes running at each other full speed. Crap like that's going to happen sometimes. To me, the, the 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 story of this should have been the comments, and it was almost like it was swept under the rug. And like you said on this on this podcast, I guess, but they kind of just let it go unchecked. And to me, yeah. that's where that's where I think most of my like if Michael Ball wants to think like what you can think whatever you want about football, and you can think whatever you want about football players, but when you're defending racist language, that's when you lose me, and that's someone that I don't want to associate with. No, and he he's just he seemed he just I don't know he just seems like uh not a very nice person that, yeah. that's and I'm basing it off only things that I've heard I've never met the guy mm-hmm. but uh, he just doesn't seem like someone I'd want to uh, associate with. You are what you put out in the world. People think I'm kind of a jerk because I don't hold back on some things. Uh, maybe people think you are too. You know what I mean? Like oh, I am. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like you are you are the you are what you portray. And maybe you're different around your friends. Like I have friends, I have family. They all like me. Like I'm not, I'm not an unlikable person. Same with you. You have friends, family. They like you too. I mean, I like you. So I mean, maybe, maybe I, I like you cause you're also an asshole like I am, but you know what I mean? Like, and I'm sure Michael Ball has people that like him, but you are the person that you put yourself out to be. And he has chosen to put on this, whether it's real or fake, this persona. And there's also been behind the scenes stuff that I've heard, you know, workplace bully. We've all heard those, hmm. those stories and such. It just seems to me this is not someone that you'd want to associate with your brand. I don't know why the riders do it. I don't know why the Ticats would bring them on. But you want to just move on? 
what we'll, we've said our piece. We can get into some actual football talk instead of talking about this moron. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. All right, so let's get into some actual football talk here. We'll talk about the Ticats for a bit. They made a pair of moves over their bye week. They released Mike Jones. Nothing of value was lost there. They signed an American receiver, Terry Godwin, another sub-six-foot receiver that the Ticats have brought in. It seems to be a theme with this team. Neither of those transactions really moves the needle in any measurable way, so I don't really think it's something that we're going to talk about, but the team is doing something with the roster at least, so I guess that is noteworthy in and of itself. But talking about this is not why I we convened here tonight to discuss the Ticats, Mike. I had this thought earlier today, and I wanted to kind of run it by you to see what you thought. Can you recall a time, any time, where a CFL team, either the Ticats or otherwise, turned things around with the same staff that had taken them to one of the highest highs they've ever had and is now seeing them at one of their lowest lows? So, like, that's what the Ticats kind of experienced under Steinhauer. 2019 was this massive success, 15-3 record, Grey Cup appearance, undefeated at home, and arguably the best Ticats team we've seen in our lifetime and maybe one of the five best in the... 152 years of the franchise existing. But this same staff that was there in 2019 has also been present here in 2022, where they've turned into sort of the league's doormat. When things tend to go sour like this, as they have, they've gone from 15 and three, they're what three and nine right now. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, you, usually the head coach and, or the general manager are long gone from the team before they flip things around and get back to being competitive. We saw it in Saskatchewan, Corey Chamblin and Brendan Taman. Both were gone in less than two years after that team won the Grey Cup in 2013. They were fired midway through 2015, if I'm not mistaken. Mark Tressman in Toronto was out a year after winning it all in 2017. Same sort of thing happened with Danny McChoach in Edmonton. And in Hamilton, Ken Austin, they go to two straight Grey Cups his first two years. What was it? Three years later, uh, 2017 happens. They start 0-8. He's out the door. Ron Lancaster, two straight Grey Cups, Grey Cup championship in his second year with the team. They crater in 2003. And that was the end of kind of his run with the team. So once teams started, these teams started losing, all these guys were kind of gone before things got better. And I can't think of a single example where the staff, head coach, coaching staff, front office, all that stuff, got the chance to rebound their team. When when things got bad, they weren't there to right the ship when after things kind of went south. You can start bad. I think we've seen that. You can kind of start Rick, Rick Campbell in Ottawa is kind of a, but even that's another example. They started terrible. They bounce. They get to they win. A, they get to a great cup. Win a great cup. Get to another great cup. Two years later, he's out the door. You know what I mean? So like once things kind of go off the rails, that that's sort of it, right? So like I I don't mm-hmm. think the team. This is my opinion. I I, I have no inf, you know inside information to back this up. I don't think they're going to make a, a coaching change. Like they're not going to fire Steinhauer. But my question to you is, and I know that was kind of a long winded way to get there, but I wanted to lay out the case first before I sent it to the jury. Isn't it? Do you think it's fair to wonder if maybe we've seen the best that this team will be under Orlando Steinhauer as sort of head of football operations and head coach? I think that's fair. I mean, in 2019, we're 15 and three. I mean, that's our best record uh, with as a Tiger Cats, you know, ever. I mean, the most they've won. What was it? Were 10, 10 wins or nine uh, wins this the, season? The, nine, eight, and one. The, the, the best, the best season they had had in franchise history was 12 and six. Okay, there you go. Prior to that so we had three three wins in that, three more wins in that, and you know, in the next year, um, in twenty twenty one, we were eight and six, but the the offense was just not good that that year either. And then we we see the decline again this year. I don't, I think we've peaked, but I don't think they're gonna fire Orlando. I think 
that the people underneath him are going to change. I was watching a game last night on ESPN Classic. It was a 2013 Eastern Final in Guelph. And guess he was an offensive coordinator then, Tommy Condell. Now, I know he hasn't been with the team for, you know, 10 straight years. I know that he, he left for a little bit. But he's been the OC for a long time in Hamilton, uh, missing a couple seasons here and there. And, I, you know, we don't like to call for people's jobs or anything like that. But I just think that next year, Orlando will be the, the head coach. I think he'll still be the VP. But there will be different people underneath them. I think um, you're, they're going to get rid of Tommy. And I think they might get rid of Mark Washington. Unless something crazy happens in the last six games of the season, which I, I don't imagine it will. Um, I just I just think the offense is played out with Tommy behind um, behind it, you know, calling the plays. And this defense has shown over and over and over again that it cannot hold the lead. It falls apart late in games. And we can't win like that. We just can't. Mark Washington's defense isn't for real. They're good, you know, three quarters of the game, and then they fall apart and fall apart in the fourth quarter. So Orlando's going to still be here, I think, but the people underneath them are going to change. Do you think that'll make a difference? And I ask that because during Austin's run, they get to those two great cups, 2013, 2014. They get to the East final in 20. They, they were, they were the best they'd ever been Aside from 2019, that, that 2015 team was the best I'd ever seen this team look. And I still, if that team stays healthy, I think I'd put them up against the 2019 team as the best Ticats team. If that, if that team would have stayed the yeah. course and everyone stays healthy, we're not talking about a 23-year Grey Cup drought. It ended that year without – no one will – and I've said this hundreds of times probably. No one will ever convince me otherwise that that 2015 team would not have absolutely just waltzed to a championship. But they – so Caleros gets hurt that year. They sputter, but they get to the East Final. So now they've been to two great cups in an East Final. The next year, 2016, Claros comes back. Things are not great, but they did make changes. I think that was the year Condell left. They brought in Stefan Patasic as the offensive coordinator. And then 2017, the following year, the Ticats made the playoffs 2016, lost, lost in the East Final. It's the only playoff game they've lost at home at Tim Hortons Field, which was to Edmonton. Then the next year, Steinhauer leaves. He goes to Fresno. And they, uh, that's when they promoted Jeff Reinbold to defensive coordinator. He gets fired midseason. Like, that 2017 team was obviously – that's the worst we've seen of the Ticats in the last few years, up until maybe this season. So Austin was still there, still in charge, just like Steinhardt, like, like you presume, yeah. and I think fairly presume Steinhardt will be. Made all the changes underneath. Team didn't – it didn't work. Now, maybe those were the wrong hires. Maybe Steinhauer has a better idea of, of who can replace these guys. Maybe he's – like, maybe we get lucky and – Ottawa starts to turn things around. They stick with La Police another year. That's a head coaching job, not there. Maybe Kahari stays in, you know what I mean? Like, that's what everyone mm-hmm. wants. Everyone wants Kahari Jones, the offensive coordinator. I get that. So maybe maybe we get lucky in that respect. Or maybe there's some other coordinators, you know, position coaches that he thinks, and maybe he makes the right hires. But the reason I bring it up is that we saw this play out with the last coach. Not June Jones. He was only here for a short amount of time. But we saw it with, with, with Austin. Things were great. They started to go down a little bit. He made, Those changes were made, whether through his own volition or not. And it didn't. It didn't make a difference. 2017 happens. Half of the year, he's gone. Do you think it'll make it? Like, do you? Here, here. I'll just ask you point blank. We're what 2022. Do you think Orlando Steinhauer is the head coach of this football team in 2025? 2025. Yeah, three years from now. Uh, um, I. If they, okay, let's just start with if they change. Let's say Kahari fills in for the offensive coordinator. Okay. 
I'm not necessarily sold that he's this dynamic offensive mind necessarily, but um, it might be, it might help to, it all depends on if Dane Evans is the quarterback we thought he was. If we're looking for a quarterback next year and we don't find one, we're screwed. It doesn't matter who the offensive yep. coordinator is. We're screwed. If, if Dane isn't the guy that we thought he was, we're matter. in a lot of trouble None of it matters. because there's not a lot of quarterbacks that are going to be floating around in free agency. See, uh, okay, hold on, about, hold on, hold on. I actually disagree with you there. Cause I Bo? think, I think this is going to be, I think Bo's going to be available. I think Vernon Adams is going to be available. And I think McLeod Bethel. Now, now I'm not saying these guys are necessarily going to be an upgrade on Dane. That's not mm-hmm. what I'm saying, but I think there is going to be options out there. You know what I mean? Like, I think the stamps are going with Jake Mayer. I think Bo's Bo. I, think we, so I but now Bo probably lands in Toronto, but that leaves McLeod Bethel Thompson out there. But if you're going to get McLeod Bethel Thompson, just go trade for Jeremiah Mazzoli. You know what I mean? Trade Dane to Ottawa for Jeremiah Mazzoli because mm-hmm. at least you know you're. You know what I mean? If Nathan Rourke comes back and because of this injury, I think he will come back next year. He probably gets a contract extension or at least gets some more money. But I think he'll be back in BC next year. I, I think NFL teams are going to be very leery of bringing in a guy who's coming off a Liz Frank injury even though his numbers were out of this world. So I think he's going to be back in BC. Vernon is not going to sign up to be a backup quarterback there again. What's going to happen in Edmonton with their quarterback situation? Not that you want anyone from there, but mm-hmm. if they go, if they go with Trey Ford, that takes them off the market for a quarterback. Could Nick Arbuckle be available? You know what I mean? Like I do think there's going to be some quarterback options out there, whether those options are better than the ones the Ticats have now, that's completely up for debate. Cause I think Bo, Bo looks cooked for, yeah. to be honest with you. I'm not entirely sold on Vernon Adams. Like, I mean, when we no. see him play, he, he, to me, he's no, he's no more consistent than, than Evans has been throughout his career. We saw, we saw a sterling season. This is the thing. Both those guys were excellent in 2019. Like Adams, they, they go 10 and eight in Montreal. He gets them to the playoffs. He's making, he's looking like Russell Wilson in his prime running around, making plays. We saw him play pretty well last year, but the inconsistency is still there. And I think that's the same. Like, I think you're just changing, you're changing the player, but I don't think you're changing the problem if that makes sense. No. no, but I do think there's going to be some quarterbacks out there, but whether or not those quarterbacks are upgrades in the guy that the Ticats already have, that's the big question, right? Yeah, exactly. Like Vernon is exciting. Um, but like you said, he's way too inconsistent. I, I, I don't think he's a starting quarterback. I think he's going to be out of the league pretty soon. Um, Bo cooked. Um, I don't, I don't, like I, I could see him retire. Like I said, at the start of the season, yep. I could see him retiring after this, after this year and joining yep. the CFL panel. Um, yeah, TSM that's why. Right? That's why I think I could see him maybe go to Toronto for a year to set himself up there. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, goes to the yeah. Orioles, plays a season, sets himself up, starts to get those connections in in Toronto where TSN is located, and eases his way into into retirement. Here's another guy that I think could be available, and I and people out in Saskatchewan might not like this. Do you, is Cody Fajardo for sure going to be back with the Riders next year? Like, what has he shown that makes you think that he's the half a million dollar franchise quarterback? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, now, again, do you bring is Fajardo an upgrade on Dane? Yeah, that's questionable. I mean, right now, uh, right now at this point, you know, everyone is. Yeah, exactly. Right Everyone's an update because it's. It's a mental thing for him right now. Yeah, I'm pretty sure because we've seen him. You know, the talent is there, the arm strength is there, all that shit's there. He just needs to get out of his own head. So if he can do that, and if we, I think we're gonna bring in, we have to bring in one or two veteran receivers in the off season. That's gonna help, I think, because Braylon Addison, I don't, I just, I love the guy, but I don't think he's gonna be 
you know, a number one guy anymore after all these injuries. It's just, it's not looking good for him. He, he can't seem to stay healthy. Uh, if he was, he, he would be a number one guy and he'd be probably racking up the yardage right now if he wasn't injured. But I just don't think you can depend on him. I think you have to bring in some help. Uh, in the off season, so it all depends on a bunch of stuff, right? If, yeah. if Dane's going to be good, if 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 the offensive coordinator we have is going to be calling the right plays, if the defensive coordinator is going to be, um, you know, a, a good play caller. Now, where's De- Devon Claybrooks? Is he anywhere? Like, I would love to have him as the defensive coordinator. I'm going to look that up. I don't think he is. I don't think he's within the CFL, anyways. Like, no, I don't think he's. I don't think he's had a CFL job. Since no. he was fired by the Lions. Uh, you'd think that'd be an upgrade because his defense was pretty his defense stout. In Cal- his defense in Calgary are excellent. Um, I'm going to keep I, I'm his wiki- with Wikipedia, but Wikipedia says he hasn't coached since he left the Lions. I'm going to keep I'm going to keep looking and I'm just going to ask you because we didn't really answer the question. That's not your fault that we kind of got off the rails as we tend to do. Do you think he's the coach? Steinhauer is the head coach in 2025. And then I got another I got another question after that that I'd like to ask you too because I, I it just came into my head but I'll I'll leave you with that one I'll start looking up Clay Books's uh, 2025 so that's three seasons from now I'm gonna yeah I'm gonna say yes because I just think that Bob Young is a pretty loyal guy to his head coaches um, and anyone that's higher up in his organization so unless you know obviously this season it went off the rails pretty hard but I think he's earned. Um, at least another season. So if he can turn it around and we can get back to respectability in the next couple of years, uh, and I think we will uh, with the right people brought in, I'm going to, I'm going to say, yes, he'll be the coach in 2025. Okay. So before I ask you the question, Devon Claybrooks is currently coaching with Keon Raymond for the Prince George Kodiak junior football team. So he is not in the CFL at the moment. This was, I found a, an article from May of this year from the Prince George citizen that Keon Raymond got him to, to help coach the team. So wow. I don't know if he's a full-time coach there or if he's just a guest coach or whatever, but that's, that's the last he was doing was, was coaching junior football out in BC. Crazy. Other, like he, he just like, he was so, he was um, so highly thought of and then completely. Yeah. And the thing is, right. I don't think he was, the, I think we did this three years ago when he got canned to me, he wasn't a problem in BC. No, he got one season as the head coach. Eh. And you know, and that offensive line was just, Putrid. Yeah. Uh, that was Mike Riley was there, right? When he was yep. the head coach. Yeah, Riley. That was Riley's first year back in BC. So actually. I mean, yeah, you can't put that on him. He's a defensive guy, and the offensive line couldn't block a, a thing. So he was definitely that was not a fair shake for him. Okay, so here's my other question: Is this offseason? Let Let's work on the assumption the Ticats do not sneak into the playoffs. They miss the playoffs for the first time in five years. With the Grey Cup being in Hamilton again next year. Is this offseason the most critical in franchise history? Do they have to get everything? Because could you imagine, again, they already played in one at home. So maybe it's, but that was the COVID-shortened season. The COVID, uh, it, was, it was a weird year last year. Could this be with, with the chance to host a full actual Grey Cup festival and all that sorts of stuff? They're going to put in the temp stands. Gonna, it's going to be, you know, the 40,000-seat stadium that they were anticipating for 2021. Is this the most important offseason that this franchise has ever faced? Do they have to get this right because they need to be in Grey Cup contention next year? Or do you think that it's just just a regular ass offseason? No, I think I think you're right. I think that well, I don't know if you think this or not, but I think that, yes, it is the biggest offseason uh, this team has ever faced because 
the fans are pissed right now. Mm-hmm. They are mad at this team. And just the way that, you know, the Grey Cup ended last year, you were so close to winning it at home. I, I think this is tremendously important offseason. Uh, you know, the the fan base is, is going to be strong. It always is. But, you know, I don't know if they'll be able to swallow another terrible season, especially when you're supposed to be hosting the Grey Cup. So, yeah, they got, they got to figure it out because next year is a massive year for them. They, you know for making money for respectability on the field for the you know everything is just a massive deal i know the gray cup brings in people from all across the country but the home market matters and you have to be maybe you don't have to be you know the the best team in the home you know what i mean like i don't think the Ticats have to go 13 and 5 next year and win the east it to make to make it a successful season but if if we see a repeat of this season Mm. you're gonna see a lot of people like check out. Like yeah. I think they got they got Winnipeg coming up on Saturday. They just got even though they they, they only lost twenty eight to eight, they got annihilated in the Labor Day class. Like that's the one game of the year that you could count on. It's like if no matter how bad this team is, they're gonna put up a fight on Labor Day. And they didn't. And I think this is now with the NFL has started up, you have uh, NCAA football reaching, you know, all those things are getting are gearing up. You got baseball. Like now is the time when people start to check out on the CFL if they aren't that invested. And if the, when you when you're in a market, even as even as ravenous as as Hamilton is, if the team is bad, people will check out and do other things. And if this happens next year and like the great couple probably sell out well before this time, but you want that strong local team to kind of give those local fans that extra push to, well, if I buy great cup tickets, maybe I'll see the hometown team win. You, you want, especially in a smaller market like Hamilton, like you want that. And if this team biffs the off season and starts next season, one and four, two and six, you know, three and like if they're if they're three and nine at this point next year, I, I think the great cup here is going to be not that great, if I'm being no. honest. No, and it's it's like you said, there's the great cup brings in everyone from across the country. But uh, you have to have that strong local fan base to uh, if you really want to, you know, sell it out, especially uh, in a smaller market like Toronto, yeah. Yeah. BC, Montreal, you can get away with. Those teams sucking because people be like, well, I get to go to Toronto for a week. And there's other st- – even if you're not emotionally like, oh, I'm going to Grey Cup. I'm going to do a bunch of Grey Cup things. But there's a bunch of other stuff to do in Toronto. There's a bunch of other stuff to do in Vancouver. There's a bunch of – other, you know what I mean? Hamilton, as much as I love the place, and there's more here than there was before, not exactly a tourist trap. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. especially especially in, in November when it's not exact. You want to come here in July and see a bunch of the beautiful – nature around here that's awesome not a lot of people are going to be going for hikes around the waterfalls end of november you know what i mean so there's not a ton to draw people here more than there was 25 years ago when the gray cup was i mean not counting last year but when the last time the full gray cup was here in 96 but if you don't have and again the tie don't have to get but they need to be in the conversation they don't have yeah. to be the runaway favorite and get to the championship game but they have to at least make the playoffs be competitive and give fans in in the area a reason to believe they can make the great cup because let's be honest even if the tie cats go on a run let's say they got what six games left let's say they go 
four and two over those next six, and that somehow is enough at 7-11 to get them second place in the East and they sneak into the playoffs. Do you really – is there anyone out there that really thinks this team is going to, even if they sneak into the playoffs, roll off two straight wins and get to the Cup? I don't. I, I really don't. I mean, I don't think they're going to win four games in their next six regardless. Like, I think this team will be lucky to win two at this point, especially with their schedule. You know they're going to lose this week. They're going to get annihilated by Winnipeg. And then they have a road game in Ottawa. They got a road game in Montreal. And they have a road game in Saskatchewan, or not Saskatchewan, in Calgary, Calgary. where they never they never win when they're good. So, guaranteed loss. Guaranteed. guaranteed loss. So we know they're going to lose at least two. They're probably mm-hmm. – and they haven't won on the road at all this year. So that's it, – it's – now – you know, rubber might meet the road when they go to Ottawa because the Red Blacks don't win at home. The Ticats don't win on the road. So that'll be an interesting toilet bowl matchup. But by then they could be eliminated from the playoffs anyway, so it won't even matter. But I like there's no way you can think that this team as currently constituted is going to roll off four wins in their next six when they haven't run off four wins in their first 12. No, no, definitely not. Not the way that this team is constructed and not the the way that the these ball games have been called by these coaches. I mean, it's a mixture of players and coaches this year. It's just yep. not working. This is and a bad total, luck. total team failure. This is from top yep. to bottom. This is this has just been awful from I mean, the jump. You watch the games and when they come out on offense, you know, in the last couple of years that I have that confidence, you know, okay, Dane, you know, he's going to throw the ball. We're going to get some first downs. We're gonna get t- There's no confidence anymore. I just, whenever they come on the field, I'm like, this is going to be a two and out or maybe, maybe they get one first down and then that's it. But there's no confidence in this offense. It's so, so bad. There needs interesting that, um, you know, we talked about the offensive line and, and I said, I thought it's been pretty good good this year you know uh minus the first couple games i thought they brought in some some really good players along the offensive line and one of our regular listeners adam stalker said that he disagrees and that's fair i should i should say that i i've been happy with the pass protection Mm. um of the offensive line but it's not like they've been running the ball a lot to even give these guys a chance to start you know run blocking for this uh for this team so uh, i you know there's some good pieces on this offense, I think the offensive line is really strong right now. But yeah, you got to bring in some more experienced receivers, and then you got to figure out what's going on at quarterback. Oh, uh, oh yeah, those are to me, those are the two big question marks that you're gonna have to answer this this winter. You're good, th- and it's team- tough because if you don't see anything from Dane in the last six games, like what do you do? Or like, do you stick with him if he looks as bad as he's looked? Do no. you stick with him? You, no, you can't, I'm- can you? No. You at worst, you can't bring him back at his current contract value, and you can't not bring someone in to compete with him for the job. Mm-hmm. You, you you just can't. He's at this point, it's he's looking like Jonathan Jennings did. Remember when Jonathan Jennings threw for like five thousand yards? You and I came on the podcast the next year for a preview show. We're like, he's good. BC's gonna. I think we both we might have both had BC winning the Grey Cup. Or at least getting to the Grey Cup, we probably took Hamilton to win the Grey Cup. If we're being honest, and he was going to win MOP, and then mm-hmm. never came close to reaching those heights ever again. Like he's out of the league now, and he looked, what was it, maybe five, six years ago, looked like he was going to be the next superstar. And Dane Evans looked like, and I think we glossed over a lot of, like if you look at his numbers from that 2019 season. He still threw a lot. He threw 21 touchdowns, 13 interceptions, which is not a great ratio. That's not something you don't want. Like that's more than like he's, he's less than two to one touchdown interception Mm -hmm. ratio. That's not great. 
That's not and Jeremiah Mazzoli was the same thing. Jeremiah Mazzoli threw a ton of interceptions, but his we saw him kind of come out of nowhere, take everyone by storm. But now that everyone seems to have to know his tendencies, they've figured out a way to sort of stop him. I think a lot of his problems this year, you said mental. I agree. I think he's putting too much on his own shoulders. Like mm-hmm. I think he's trying too hard to be when he's and I I I, I can't remember if I said it on here or if I said it when I was on the radio. I, I'm every mostly every Friday I talk to Bill Kelly on uh, CHML. We talk about Ticats for like 10 or 15 minutes. I can't remember where it was where I said it. So if I'm repeating myself, I apologize. He's he's almost like he's trying to win the game on every play. Like when he's playing within the offense, like just doing his 112, they've looked phenomenal. The mm-hmm. first half against Calgary, he looked – it was like, oh, that, that first loss – because that was week two. So it was like, oh, that first loss was an aberration. But then the second half rolled around. Uh, there's been other times this year where he's looked like that player, but it's been so infrequent. But it seems as if – I don't know if he doesn't believe in his teammates. He doesn't believe in the defense, like if if it's his own mentality. But it seems like when he's when he's playing hero ball – that's when things go south. He did it. Well, the last game he started was the roadie in Toronto where he threw two interceptions, three, three total interceptions had the fumble, got yanked, came back in and threw two picks. Like that's when, when he's like putting it all on himself, that's when things go bad for him. When he, when he's playing within the structure of the offense, things look like they're clicking like they were three years ago. The problem Mm -hmm. is, can they get back to that? I don't know if they can. I don't know either. You know, he kind of reminds me of Casey Printers when he came back from the NFL with the Ticats. It's just he's not seeing it. He's not seeing the open receiver. Maybe there there are some open receivers, but he just he's not seeing it right now. Like he like that pick six he had against Toronto. Mm -hmm. Like that was that was um, I think there was a couple of short routes where just like turnaround routes, like five, you know, six yards deep. He looks over, he looks to the other side, he comes back to it and then chucks it as hard as he can. But it's like, that was a, that's supposed to be a bang, bang, mm-hmm. you know, throw it, get rid of it. And he's just not, he's just not doing that right now. So like, I hate to say that I compared him to Casey Printers when he was with the Ticats, but just the way that he throws the ball, the way that he's struggling to see the field, it just reminds me of Casey a lot. Yeah. So uh, let me ask you this. It'll be the last thing and then we'll move on. If if the would you would you trade Dane for Bo right now? And, and you don't like Bo, so no, take don't. your personal animus out of it. Would you trade? Do you think this team would be better if Bo Levi Mitchell was the starting quarterback? No, I don't. No? I think Bo. I think Bo is an ego maniac. Um, <laughs> I think he. I said take the personal animus out of it. No, but this is how I think of it. Okay. I think that he would. He's. He blames everyone else but himself. So I just don't think that would help this locker room. And maybe maybe that's what you need. You need some asshole to come in and to take control. But I just don't see at this point in his career, I don't think he's uh, what he used to be on the field. And I just think he might be a bad thing for this locker room. Okay. Okay. I'm just because he to me, he's the only guy that I think you could sell me on as a potential upgrade. Like I think everything else would be a lateral move at best. Like, I'm not trading. I, I know a lot of people are in love with McLeod Bethel-Thompson right now, but he, I, I don't see any difference between him and Jeremiah Mazzoli. I think he's a lesser version of Jeremiah Mazzoli. You know what I mean? Like, 
I think he's got the same issues that Mazzoli has. We've seen him look truly terrible in games. He's like the he's like the inverse Dane, where the first half goes completely south, and then somehow he bounces back and looked great in the second mm-hmm. half. Um, Vernon I, Vernon Adams, I think, is another sideways move. I think Cody Fajardo would be a sideways move. I think Nick Arbuckle would be a sideways move. Now, maybe some of these guys just need a change of scenery. To make, like obviously McLeod's making it work in Toronto, but I mean, if they even if they win the Grey Cup, I think there's a there's a good chance that if especially if Bo's available, the Argos will dump, at, you know, Macbeth for for Bo and I think in a heartbeat. You know what I mean? Like, I that that's just my personal opinion. I Bo to me is the only guy that I think you could sell as you know two time MOP, two time Grey Cup yeah. champion. You know what I mean? Like if yeah, he, and, and all the, if he gets back to what he was, he could be the best quarterback in the league. I'm with you. I think that that time has passed. And if they, if even if they stick with Dane, if I, do you, I, I think their biggest quarterbacks, obviously you have to figure out what you're going to do a quarterback. I think they need a, a number one receiver. I don't think I, even mm-hmm. if Braylon comes back, I think, like you said, due to his injuries, I don't know if he is the, can be the guy anymore. And I'm not sure if he ever could have been the guy. Like we all raved about what he did when June Jones brought him in. And we all raved about his 2019 season. It did help that he was playing next to the MOP, who, was, who Brandon Banks mm-hmm. had his powers. You know what I mean? So, Absolutely. I don't, but I also don't know how many stud receivers are out there. Like, yeah. who, what veteran are you going to get that transforms this off? I, I don't know if there is one. I, yeah, I'd have to take a look at the free agent list, but yeah, I, I mean, you got guys like Tim White and Dunbar, and I think those guys are great. I think they they can be great second and third options Mm -hmm. but you got to have that number one receiver and you're right we never really knew for sure if braylon was a number one guy when you're playing next to brandon banks you can rack up a a lot of yards because you know a lot of the attention was on brandon banks so uh we just never got the chance to see what he could do as the number one guy and i think people also forget like luke tasker was taking away a lot of in 2019 tasker was still on the team and he was taking away a lot of he was taking a lot of attention. Did he have Jalen to Saunders too on that team? No, no, Saunders was gone right. by then. He got hurt okay. Labor Day 2018. Right, he, right, he, right. Yeah, I, actually, I think it was Saunders' injury that ended up being the reason the Ticats signed Addison. Like I right, think Saunders, I think I think because Addison was with the Argos and they cut him, and then I think a couple of weeks later Saunders got hurt and. The Ticats signed at Braylon. I, but I, I, again, I, I don't remember the timeline, so don't quote me on that. But I do know it was it was that same season. Addison came in in 2018. And remember, we were talking at the end, of the, he, he, Speedy gets hurt against Ottawa. Braylon yep. has this great playoff run, and we're like, oh, could is, is this the next guy or is this the next Brian Timms? And he turned into a, a really good second option, was a great kind of you know gadget player, was Debo Samuel before Debo Samuel was a thing. So... I definitely think that if he comes back healthy, there's a role for him. And I think we were seeing him start, you know, the last few games before he got injured this year, sort of make that turn. I just don't know if he's, he's the number one option. And I, and I'm with you. I know we were high on white and Dunbar. They look, they, they, whites look really, well, I won't say really good, but he's looked decent enough the last few weeks. Dunbar looked great at the start of the season. I don't think he's, he's kind of falling off though, way. Eh? Like Absolutely. Dunbar's kind of falling off the last couple of weeks. I don't think he's had a touchdown in seven weeks. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I, I think I think you're right. I think those guys are are, are secondary and, and tertiary options. I don't think either of those guys can be or should be number one receivers. Who's out there? Like, 
yeah, we're going to have to wait and see who's going to be a free agent before we start. And I mean, we got weeks before we're going to find that out, but yeah, it's just, uh, I don't know. I think that might be the the biggest question for me with the tie cats next year is finding that weapon offensively that, you know, is going to suck defenders. His way is going to have bracket cover. You know what I mean? Like take some attention off of the other guys and allow them to kind of work in space. But uh, we spend a lot more time on that than I anticipated. So let's move on to some league stuff. Uh, there's only one thing to talk about here. It's the biggest bit of news that has happened since you and I went on this sort of mini hiatus that we never planned. And that was, we talked about it a little bit up, up top. The Riders released defensive lineman Garrett Marino. We won't, I don't want to go through. We've kind of already discussed all the nonsense with him. Suspended for the Mazzoli hit, the racist comments, all that other sorts of stuff. Came back, first game, fined. And then in, I believe it was the Labor Day weekend game against the Bombers, there was a video that went viral of him taking a cheap shot at Zach Caleros, and that looked to be the straw that sort of broke the camel's back on this one, so to speak. There are also some rumors swirling that Randy Ambrosi sent a memo to the other eight teams that said that he has the ability or the 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 right to not register a contract for any player, basically given one of those, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudges, saying that if a team tries to sign Garrett Marino, that he will essentially block it. So my question to you, Mike, is twofold. The first question is, do you agree with the writers for re- releasing Marino? I think that that's a pretty – I think I know your answer to that's going to be. But more interestingly, <clears throat> do you agree with the idea that he's essentially, with this Ambrosi memo, been banned from the league? So how do you – do you, you agree with the release, and do you agree with the, you know, the not exactly banned but kind of banned, you know, quote-unquote stuff? Uh, well, I agree with the, the release by the Rough Riders, obviously. And the banning or, you know, whatever it is, um, I agree with it, too. I think that, you know, there's certain players that you just don't want in your league. And I know that people think this is, a, you know, a slippery slope. You know, you do this to one player and then, you know, they could decide to do this. But I don't see, like, unless you do something super egregious like what he did, I don't see, you know, the league... Uh, doing it to other people, other players. So uh, I'm for the release by the Rough Riders, and I'm for not le- allowing him to sign a CFL contract. Listen, there's plenty of other football leagues out there. If they want a racist player in their league, then go at it. If you if the USFL wants him, if the XFL wants him, ha- you know, have a good time with him. But I just think that what he's displayed on the field, celebrating an injury throwing racist comments out there towards another player. I'm glad he's gone. And, and uh, I don't care if people think it's unfair. I think it was the right decision. The release was, he was becoming too much of a headache for what he was bringing on the field. So I, I think, I think regardless of all the extra stuff, I think if you would have, if it would just have been the on field stuff with the hits, I think at some point they would have gotten rid of him anyway, because he just becomes, you're you're costing us too much to what you're bringing to the table. So get rid of it. The banning, I'm a little less black and white on simply because the reasoning it seems to be is player safety. And I don't necessarily think that his cheap shots are any different than what Kyrie Saber used to do, what Khalif Mitchell used to do. What people have claimed Simone Lawrence has done. Like, like, I think that we've we've seen guys in the, the sort of new safer era of football be just as dirty. Jason Jimenez was a dirty football player. Rob Murphy was a dirty football player. 
there was, and I know again, it's years ago and we've even evolved since then, but that if you're telling me he's not allowed because he, of, of, of being a racist or using racist language, I won't say he is a racist cause I don't know him, but using mm-hmm. racist language, I'd be for that because that's sort of in that same boat of we're not going to let you sign Ray Rice because it goes against what we believe in. Johnny Manziel had these things in his these clauses in his contract that he didn't fulfill. We're not going to register a contract. Like to me, there's there's things that go above. Well, he's good at throwing a ball. That sh- there's things that should trump that in life. And I think if the CFL can stand on that, I think it gives them a little bit of a a moral high ground. But if you're telling me he's banned because he's, he's too dangerous. That to me is a little less palatable for me. You know what I mean? Like, because mm. there's, there's danger, there's danger in every game. And yeah, maybe he's, he's excessive. I don't know if he's excessive enough with, with just the hits. I'm not, I'm I'm not talking about anything else. I'm talking about simply his, his play on the field. I don't think that warrants a, an outright, banning and i and i'm the last person who would come anywhere close to defending this clown but i don't know if the the hits are necessarily what would be my impetus for telling him no we don't want your you don't we don't want you here now is are they just not saying it's because of the racist comments like i don't understand Maybe. why they're so scared of just saying well, what it was I, because like like you said, the Kyrie rare. There's been headhunters mm-hmm. in this league before. Like I don't understand why they. Is it because they're afraid of getting like sued or something? Like I, I don't know. It's just weird to me that they just don't say the actual reason. Well, and here's the thing. I the other thing. I I don't I don't think it's necessary because I don't think any team. <coughs> pardon me. I don't think any team's gonna sign him anyway. Because I think that the even if you think he's a good player, the backlash you're gonna get for bringing this guy in it's not going to be enough to warrant bringing him in. Mm-hmm. Like I know we've seen, and we talked about it earlier, like the tie catch tried to hire art Bryles and it was so revolting. And so universally just like people were disgusted that the tie cats would try to do this based on what art Bryles had been. I'm not sure if he had been, I might've only been accused. June Jones buddy, right? June, 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 Jones, buddy. June Jones was yeah. trying to give his friend a lifeline after yeah. what had happened at, I believe it was Baylor university where, uh, he hushed up a bunch of sexual assaults or whatever. I can't remember if he'd actually been, if he'd just been accused at the time. I mean, I, he was out of Baylor, so that Baylor had enough reason to fire him. I mean, he was a pretty, a pretty successful head coach. Like he was the head coach of, uh, oh, the quarterback Washington won them. Oh, uh, Robert Griffin. Robert Griffin the third. He was the coach at Baylor when RG three was was running roughshod over the NCAA. They got rid of him because he, you know. Of, of what was alleged. And I believe now, I think we all know that it actually happened. But again, I, once that happened, I guess like, wow, what, what the hell are you thinking? But the Ticats got killed for that. And really, so, and still to this day, there's a little bit of stink left on him for that. And I think it's fair. Like, yeah. I think that the, what, what Bryles did or helped cover up was worse than like, that's terrible. That, that, that is someone who does not belong to have a high profile gig in a major professional sports league. With Marino, I think it's the same sort of thing. I think the backlash would be so tremendous. Like, I have not seen, aside from the doofuses who defend anything a player on their favorite team does, have you really seen anyone say that, like, have you seen anyone from the other eight teams say that they would, now that Marino's out, I want him on my team? I haven't seen it. I'm not saying there nope. isn't, I'm not saying there's not Ticats, Argos, blah, 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 all those fans, fans of the other eight teams that are saying they, there are people out there who would take him. 
I haven't seen anyone say, yeah, bring up, you know, wow, what, what could he bring to this team? I've not seen a single person say that. No, neither have I. And I've seen I've seen some people suggest that uh, Chris Jones might bring him in, but I, I don't even see that. I mean, I think someone above him would be like, no, we're not doing this. Like Victor. I, I, think, I, I think I think Chris Jones gets a bad rap on some of this stuff. I don't think he's a guy that brings I don't think he's necessarily someone who likes dirty players. He likes physical no. players. Yep. Guys who maybe cross the line a little bit on the field. Like Willie Jefferson's not known for being Willie Jefferson's a Chris Jones guy. He's not necessarily known for being a a squeaky clean on field player, but I don't think he goes for like like I'm trying to think when Chris because Chris Jones has been a head coach before. Never I don't think he ever really signed anyone that you'd say is like out and out. Maybe maybe McConaughey. McConaughey might be the only guy that I can think of who right. was like a dirty player that that was a Chris Jones guy. But other than that, he just I, I think he's getting a little bit of an unfair rap for this, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I just think that people dislike him very much. Yeah. So and they just kind of project that on to him. But but yeah, you know, if one guy was going to bring him, maybe it would be Chris Jones. But I just think that the way that this franchise Edmonton Edmonton Elks are in this city right now. I just can't see them, you know, trying to pull off that move. It's just not worth it because he's not he's not a he's a good football player. He's OK, but he's not going to change your the, franchise he, or anything. He's, he's not the difference between your team missing the playoffs and winning a championship. No. And, it, it, yeah, it's just and, and, it, even, it, and even if he was to me, I don't think I still think teams would be like, no, not no. worth it. It's not worth I mean, the bad PR we're going to get. Exactly. I mean, there's like 5000 people coming to games in Edmonton right now. They'd probably be. You know, that would even it'd be even less after that, because this uh, like this franchise is hurt. Like it's level. I think it's like Argonauts level of uh, apathy in Edmonton. Uh, and and the thing is, they have tons of money in the bank and they can be they'll be OK. But it's going to take a while for this fran- franchise to build itself back up. Once uh, they start once they start winning consistently, I think you'll start to see people return. I think yeah, it's just I agree. A really bad two years. They haven't won a home game. In two years. How like that's that two takes seasons. a toll on anybody. Like I don't yep. care how hard a fan you are. If you're like even season like, oh, you know what? I could go to the game or I could actually go enjoy myself. Like losing right. does. I, I I there are fan bases that are always going to be strong. At least now. Like I mean the Ticats, the Riders, like the teams that people build up is like oh look at these Hamilton and Saskatchewan have these diehard fan bases. Man, there were lean years in Hamilton. How many times this this team is owned by Bob Young because they went bankrupt? You know what I mean? Like the owners turned the keys in. The riders held mm-hmm. telephones to keep the 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 door. Like it's not always been you know peaches and cream in these two no. cities. But Edmonton has a strong football like culture, like history. I guess would be the best mm-hmm. way to put it. Yeah. I think when yeah. wins return, and I do think I, I do think it, like Chris Jones going to turn that around. Whether they win a championship, I don't know. But I'll say this. I think Edmonton right now, if you were to tell me pick between Edmonton and Hamilton to make the playoffs next year based on what you've seen now, I take Edmonton in a heartbeat. I think Edmonton's better off. Edmonton is positioning themselves better for success in the coming years than Hamilton is right now. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. I think that, you know, there's a lot of jokes made about how Chris Jones is rotating players in and out this season, but this is what he does, right? Like, this is his MO. Exactly what he did with Saskatchewan his first year there. And I don't know if we were talking about this earlier. It was up before we started recording, but <laughs> I know that we had a similar conversation. But yeah, I just think that um, 
you know, I see some guys that they brought in recently, and I watched the last game, and, you know, there's some guys there that are, you, you should be getting excited about. And I don't see that in Hamilton. I just think, you know, we're sticking with it and letting it ride out, and maybe it, it changes in the offseason. But, yeah, I think that uh, I think that the Edmonton franchise is heading in the right direction right now. And I do believe if they start winning, they'll come back. But I, I also think that there was maybe more – like there were some comments that came out of the franchise that I think really offended some people. Mm-hmm. Um, like the we don't we have too many old white people um, mm. fans. And listen, that's a problem for the CFL, obviously. But you don't want to offend your your existing fan base. Like if you're an old white guy and you have season tickets for thirty years and you hear that said, I mean they're gonna be like, well, you, they don't want my business, so I guess I'm checking out. I think there's been more of that. And I think the name change now, obviously the name change has nothing to do with why they're losing and all that kind of stuff. But I think there's a lot of, lot more older white folks that are, you know, um, that were offended that they changed the name. And, and I think that's part of the problem too. And I think that a lot of the younger people that were saying, no, change the name, change the name, change the name. They're never going to go to a game. They're never going to watch a game because they don't like CFL football. So I think they lost a lot of older fans and they can't replace them with younger fans because younger people don't like CFL football. I think the fan base, if they would have won, they changed it. If everything stays the same as how, how this went, they can say we have too many old white guys as fans and they can change the name and that could piss people off. If they went 10 and four last year and lost in the West final and they were, what did they, what did they play? 12 games so far. They're seven and five and in the thick of things for the playoffs this year, people would be there. People would you would if you're a diehard fan of a sports team as those old people were and the team was winning, you would you wouldn't care because here's the thing. You and I did a podcast in 2017 bringing up Art Browse again. I legitimately was like, I don't know if I can support this team anymore. I, like I had a, a legitimate you know, crisis of conscience like they do not. They care so little. At least that's what it felt like at the time. They care so little about doing the right thing. That I feel gross promoting this. Like I didn't wear Ty Cats merch at games or in my life for the rest of that year because I was just like, th- it just feels wrong. And two years later, they're 15 and three and I'm back on the bus. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. if, if your team wins, I think a lot of like you can still attach those things to them. But I think at the same time, like because a lot of the people that were pissed off about like I'm friends with a lot of people that were pissed off about the Art Browse thing. They all still go to games like it's still like maybe there's a little piece of them that's more cynical now because of it, knowing right. that the team will put the ability to win over doing the right thing. But it didn't stop them from being fans. And I think the same thing would happen in Edmonton. You may have lost. You're right about young people. Young. I don't know how that's a whole other. We, we've already gone almost an hour today. And we still have something yeah. to talk about. But that's a whole other discussion for a whole other day smarter people than both you and I have tried to figure that out. And they, and they haven't, although to be fair, Hamilton's audience and uh, uh, Ottawa's audience does skew Pretty a little young. younger. It, it, yep. yeah, I won't say young. I'll say younger. There are, there are people in their late twenties, early thirties that go to tie cats and red blacks games. So they're doing something right. It, whatever that is, people should actually be asking them. But if Edmonton was good and if Edmonton had remained good, yeah, you're not going to get 40,000 to Commonwealth. But they wouldn't be 
you know, six, seven, eight thousand bands at a game. Right. You know I mean, like those those people that's that are pissed off about the name change because they're stealing heritage or whatever nonsense they want to spew. They would be there cheering them on if they were they were, they were playing Calgary for first in the West at, at last weekend. You know what I mean? So that's fair. Yeah, I, 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 I do I, think that there's such tradition here that they will come back if they start winning. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just don't think because that's also what Edmonton fans are used to. Like they went 30 yeah. years without missing the playoffs, and I'm, in sure. the last 15 or so, they haven't been that good. Yeah, they've won they've won a Grey Cup, they won in 2015, but outside of that, they've been competitive, but they haven't been that good. Like the the years of the dominant double E, the green and gold, that's that's long since gone. Like the, that's why you see a lot of people, Edmonton fans, talk about still to this day. Talk about the the golden era, the five straight, yeah. because the modern era since since when was the last they won in twenty fifteen? When was the last time before that? Two thousand five. Like, yeah, it's it's. I mean, I I would kill for the Ticats to have won two Grey Cups in the last seventeen years, but for Edmonton, that almost feels like a failure. Only winning two championships in the last, like, essentially the last. Mm-hmm. What, what, what did they win? They won in. Did they win oh three oh five? And then 15. So they've won three great cups in the last 20 years. For fans of of Edmonton, that almost feels like a failure. Yeah, and for a team that's that made the playoffs for like 30 straight years, it's uh, it's I'm sure it's a tough pill to swallow to go to a game every, you know, every weekend, every other weekend, and just see this terrible display of football. It's just been atrocious the last two years. So maybe I was a little bit um, too harsh uh, on the fan base, but. I think you're. I, I just think that they're hurting really bad right now. I mean, you, it, it's just sad to see uh, a once proud franchise with like, you know, I know they announced the attendance as like twenty thousand, but it's much, much less than that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, here's the thing: <laughs> fan bases, things like this. Unless you're one of the, and I, I know the the Edmonton is sort of is one of the flagship. I mean, there's only nine teams in the league, so like you can make a claim that every friggin' team's a flagship franchise. But mm-hmm. I know historically Edmonton's been one of the like marquee teams to be like, if we're being honest, but when you have such a sustained run of success, there's going, when there's a drop off, we're going to see it in our lifetimes over there in new England. They were so good for two decades. And I, you know, I get it. I get into it with Patriot fans every now and then because uh, I can't help myself, but I truly believe we've seen the last we've seen in our lifetimes, you, you, you and me, and we're, relatively young men you're still in your 30s i just turned 40 i don't think we're ever going to see the new england patriots win another super bowl and there's a lot of people out there that only know there's 25 year old patriot fans who only know oh we go to the championship game every other year yeah we're in the the AFC championship game four out of every five years like they're not going to take gillette's going to be an empty stadium when they go three years of six wins like it it it's these things are cyclical. They happen. I grew up a 49ers fan and then they hit a skid there and they've rebounded slightly in the last decade. But for a while there, they were terrible, but that's what happens in sports. And that, like no one stays on top forever. The New York Yankees spend the most money in the world. They haven't won a world series since 2009. Like they've won a world series since Marcel Belfay was in his first year as head coach of the Ticats. How many Ticats see like think of how many coaches the Ticats have had since the last time the Yankees won a championship. And that's, that's, they always win and all you, you don't stay on top forever. And in a league like the CFL, where I think 
I think wins and losses matter more than maybe in any other sports league. Like all the other ones have these massive TV contracts and they're going to be fine. And I think the CFL needs to find a way. I don't know how they're going to do it. And I don't want to get into the discussion about now, but they have to find a way to get away from being gate driven because I don't think in, in 2022, that's the way to have a profitable sports league. I don't think, I don't think you can rely on people going to the games anymore as, as your main source of, of revenue. So in this league wins, like Montreal was sell Montreal expanded McGill at the height of Anthony Calvillo's powers. And then he retired two years later. And now the place is a ghost town. They had like 15,000 people at their last home game. Like teams, I think in the CFL are so much Hamilton and Saskatchewan might be the outliers in a way. I still think attendance will dip in both places. I mean, the riders don't sell it. Ticats don't sell it anymore. They used to sell it every game. Now they don't. You're going to see it when teams get bad. It's going to be a dip. But I think in, in some markets, it's they're so dependent. Like Winnipeg right now is on a run like we haven't seen maybe since. And we didn't really see it because we I mean, you weren't born and I was barely born at the tail end of it that we haven't seen since since that dynastic Edmonton team that won five in a row. But they're eventually going to hit a skid. And those 30,000 people crowds at IGF are going to dwindle to 17,000 people. Because the team is three and 15. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I think that that's like, you just have to kind of accept the ebbs and flows right. of, of where that goes. And I, and I, I think that in the CFL, you, you just, you can lose for a couple of seasons, but um, yeah, I think like one of the big reasons why we lost Ottawa was because they were just terrible. For terrible. So, long. so terrible. like you can be terrible for a couple of years. You just have to turn it around and the fans will probably come back. But if you're terrible for stretches of time, then you're in big trouble, right? I guess it's the same. Uh, no, yeah, the, it's not the same because of the big TV contracts, but it's some teams in those big four leagues, they just coast, right? Cause yeah, well, Jacksonville. Money and, Jacksonville should yeah. be a team. Jacksonville should yeah. be a team, but they got a, they got a billionaire owner and the richest sports contract in television and it keeps them afloat. So it, it is what Buffalo for all rights shouldn't have a football team, but I mean, now they're good, but Buffalo was bad. But what kept them afloat was the fact that bills were bad for two decades. Absolutely atrocious for until from Jim Kelly's retirement. And then the, you know, they had that short spell with Flutie until Josh Allen arrived on the scene. They were awful. They made mm-hmm. one play before Josh Allen arrived in Buffalo. They made the playoffs once that, that, and it was the year before Josh Allen went to the bills. So Wins and losses matter. That's all I'm going to say. And if you're an Edmonton fan and you haven't seen them win at home in damn near three years, because, yeah, people say, oh, they haven't won since 2019. That's not fair. There was no 2020. It still happened. The year still occurred. Yeah. That means that there's fans of that team that have been to those games now have been to, what is it, 14 straight losses at home? At some point that you're just going to be like, it's not, this is not fun anymore. Like, I'm not having a good time. I'm not going to the game. I'm going to watch it at home. There's no, there's not even any, any hope really. I mean, you, you just know that they're going to lose. Like it's just, especially I, like this I season with, they'd be this bad at home again. I really didn't. I, I think we said, uh-huh. uh, I think we said it in our preview show that I didn't think Edmonton would be that good, but I said, well, at least they're going to, they're, they're not going to go winless at home again. And they very well might go winless at home again. Yeah, they like, might. I mean, they probably don't have many Eastern opponents left at home. They're probably like Western opponents. Play the Ticats at home. Yeah, 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 exactly. Ticats do so, not visit Commonwealth. No, they're not years. coming. They're not coming, so. Um, I'm just going to look at the Elks schedule, even though we've spent way too much time talking about Edmonton than I anticipated. Mm-hmm. Uh, Montreal is there. 
and they get the Argos and the Lions. So they have three more home games left and might be able to win one of those. Maybe. 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 Maybe, 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 but ugh. yeah, it's it's tough. It's tough. All right. Uh, we've gone longer than anticipated, but we have to we'll at least have to get a game preview. And I guess even though this is going to be very short, I think we don't talk about gambling all on this show, Mike. Uh, but I cannot for the life of me fathom how the Bombers are just an eight and a half point favorite over the Ticats this week. I mean, I've seen the Bombers play. I've seen the Ticats play. I think I said it in my last piece for three down. There is not a spread on earth that Vegas could set or whoever sets the CFL lines could set this at that I wouldn't take the points with the Bombers. These two teams meet Saturday at Tim Hortons Field. These are teams going in complete. The last time these these two teams played at the stadium was the Grey Cup. And I don't think two teams could have had two completely opposite reactions to that game than what Winnipeg has. The the uh, Winnipeg and Hamilton has the Bombers mm-hmm. are cruising again. Look like they're well on their way to winning a third straight championship. They're sitting at twelve and one. The Ticats are, well, you're listening to this, so you so you know what they are. Normally we will break this thing down, talk about what we think the team needs to do to win the game, but I really don't want to waste our time, your time, the listeners' time. So I'm just going to ask you, Mike, is there any chance? And I do mean any chance the Ticats can come even close to winning this game. Do you like? Will they even come close to covering the spread, let alone winning this game? You know, Winnipeg Uh-oh. has come out <laughs> in a couple of games and their offense has stunk. The only thing that the Bombers, you know, the question mark I have about the Bombers is, is their offense going to stick? Because I saw a game earlier this season in Edmonton where I think Claro's completed mm-hmm. six passes. Yeah. Um, the, the offense is a big question mark for me with the Bombers. They can last week. They looked amazing. And in some games, they're they're clicking. Oh, the week before, they didn't look that great. In the Labor Day game, they only won by two. Yeah, so it's just their offense is a bit inconsistent. But I don't really give the Ticats any chance of winning it. Maybe they'll cover the spread if the offense comes out, you know, the way that they have in a couple games this year. But, yeah, I mean, eight and a half points is a lot of points to cover. But, uh, yeah, I wouldn't be betting on it, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, I'm not putting my money on this at all, but uh... – that that game you said that they the Claire's competed like whatever it was four six five whatever it was they still won that they still won that game by two touchdowns like they won yeah. that game twenty four ten yeah and I, the I thing is about them is that their defense can just you know those those can eat you know Willie it. Jefferson and and Jackson Jeffcoat they're not yeah. leading the league in sacks you know they're no but they can turn it on yep. when they have to and that's the thing with the Bombers right Big Hill's still out there that secondary is great Caleros yeah. when he's on is. Looks like 2015 Caleros. He's unstoppable. Probably going to win now that especially now that Nathan Rourke is injured. Probably going to win MOP this this year again. It just Winnipeg is inevitable. I, a lot of people talk about teams and players that way, but I just think they're Thanos right now. They are. They just snap the finger and everything goes poof. And I just I I just don't I don't see any scenario short of a catastrophic injury to somebody on Winnipeg, like one of their stars, like Caleros, which I don't wish on anyone. So I'm not saying that, but that's the only way I think Hamilton even keeps us close. Like they, these two teams could not be further apart in my mind on how good and bad they are. And I, I don't want to say like, Oh, let's just, you know, cause I'm anything can happen. It's football. Let's pack it up. Mm-hmm. Just give Winnipeg the great cup. We've seen some great teams get, get beat on the wrong day. And I'll say this, if, if it's Winnipeg and Toronto in the gray cup, 
Toronto's going to beat them. Toronto doesn't lose great cups, unfortunately. They haven't lost one since I think 82 was the last time they lost a great cup. So it's been my entire lifetime, essentially, that the Argos, if they get to the great cup, they win the damn thing, which sucks. Right. And if, if the Argos and Winnipeg are playing in Saskatchewan, you can guess who the, the, the home crowd is going to be cheering for. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I will do my best to probably not watch that game because that I, I don't have any sort of hate towards Winnipeg. But there's some there's not it's not very fun when you just watch a team that good just cruise. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like it, sports is fun because of the unpredictability of it. And if this thing's basically was fait accompli from day one, I don't know. It kind of loses its luster for me. And God, I just don't want the Argos to win another championship. But you're right. That game in Saskatchewan, if it's those two teams, the most of the people are that are neutral are going to cheer for the Argos, maybe even Ticat fans. Because you, you t- right now, I don't know who the Ticats would hate more, the, the Bombers or the Argos, to be quite honest with you, because the Bombers have ripped their hearts out the last two championship games. And I mean, the Argos, the Argos. But yeah, I just I I'm going to the game on Saturday. We'll, we're going to do a live show afterwards. I I don't know. That might be our shortest live show ever because it just might be they stunk. And if they mm-hmm. pull off this victory, this this will be the biggest upset in the CFL in I don't know how long if Hamilton pulls this off because I just don't see how what we've seen from both these teams how the Ticats can like Winnipeg probably scores in the 20s which means Hamilton probably has to score in the higher 20s I just don't see how this team is going to manufacture enough offense to get close to 30 points in this game. No, I I don't think they're they're going to pull this one. If they do pull it off, they, they got hey, Montreal next that, week. That, then we'll, then we'll be on here eating crow and probably talking about how well they beat Winnipeg and now they got the mm. Owls and now they got the Owls. They're they're chasing the Owls. So <laughs> how does not that like we'll talk ourselves into it? Of course we will. Oh yeah. I mean, and, and, when, I mean the, when the next six were nine and nine, and my prediction is right on target. And I'm kind of scared at some of the predictions I've gotten right so far. Like <laughs> I never get anything right on the predictions, but I've, I think I had a have a couple that are that bow right on the ball. Looking, looking kind of juicy right now, to be honest with you. Uh, that bow's going to retire uh, once looking looking mighty good. Well, I uh, said Vernon Adams is going to get replaced. I said, yeah. What else did I say? So, anyways, I won't pat myself on the back too much. Well, you'll get a chance to pat yourself on the back when we uh, when we get to the end of the year and we review our preseason predictions. Yeah, I just uh, if if they win this. I, you're going to see a lot of people talking, well, if they can beat Winnipeg, maybe they can. Still in the hunt, baby. Still in the hunt. Still in the hunt. It, it'll, it'll keep interest for at least another week until they then go to Montreal and somehow find a way to lose. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that was Pods TV for this week. I'm Josh Smith. Now, Mike Graham, eat them raw. Eat them raw. <laughs>